Hello dear friends and welcome to another bonus episode of Fantastic Fights, the podcast about a middle-aged man playing adventure game books out loud on the internet. My name is H.J. Doom and this episode is a bonus episode made possible by the kind support of my patrons over on www.patreon.com forward slash hjdoom. This episode I have two new patrons to thank, Lubin Rains and Sam Anderson. I hope I've said them right. Thank you both so much for your support. Your help makes all of my nonsense possible. In addition to helping fund bonus episodes just like this for everyone to enjoy, my patrons will also get a special Christmas gift of a 40,000 word adventure game book penned by my own fair hand. I'm currently finishing up the second draft and I'm quite pleased with how it's turned out. Anyone who has donated at least once through 2021 will get a copy and I'm totally fine if you want to pledge like a single pound for a single month and then quit. That's fine. Obviously I'd love you to stick around but I know money is tight for a lot of people these days and yeah if that's what you want to do do it with my blessing. Before we get to this very exciting episode, I do have some dull schedule stuff to get through. I usually aim to get the main episodes of the podcast out somewhere between the 7th and the 9th of the month. For a variety of personal reasons, that probably won't be possible in December. So the episode will probably come out a week or so later. I'll aim to get back on track for January when there will also hopefully be a bonus episode as well, but I'll confirm that in the main January episode. Now we can get to talk about the game book for this episode. Flight from the Dark by Joe Diva and Gary Chalk, first published in 1984 by Sparrow Books. This book is the first instalment of the wildly popular Lone Wolf series, and this has been by far the most requested non-fighting fantasy book for this podcast. Now my own experience with Lone Wolf is fairly minimal. Uh, I think I played one of the later books in the series obtained from the always dependable local library and I didn't quite get on with it. The system is a little bit more obtuse than the always straightforward fighting fantasy approach and I think in all honesty I might have been a little too young for it. Also coming in later in an ongoing narrative is always a bit tricky. Now I'm delighted to have the opportunity to rectify the omission and I hope it will be interesting for those listening with a more in-depth knowledge of the franchise to hear how someone comes to it pretty much fresh. Now while I don't know much about Joe Diva, I've been a long-time fan of Gary Chalk's art which I encountered through his brilliant work for Games Workshop on the sublimely random board game Talisman which gamers of a certain vintage may remember fondly. That game had a distinctive and unified aesthetic thanks to his strong line work and his really bold colours. And his cover art for Flight of the Dark is a fine example of his skill set. A brooding figure, bags of personality, with a sword gazing enigmatically towards the reader. It's a fine invitation to come inside, so let's get to it. Lone Wolf has quite a bit going on. I'm going to try and give an overview, a quick overview, because a huge rules info dump is no one's favourite way to spend time. The game essentially runs off a d10, but it has a random number generator chart at the back in the quite reasonable expectation that most readers would not have access to weird dice in the early 80s. 
I'll be using a D10 though because it's easier than dropping a pencil onto a chart at the back of the same book I'm reading. You have just two stats, combat skill and endurance, which do pretty much what they say on the tin. Combat skill is 1d10 plus 10 and endurance is 1d10 plus 20. Combat involves subtracting your combat skill from your opponent's, which gives you a number which can range from around minus 11 to plus 11. There's a table at the back of the book. You find that combat ratio and then each round you roll 1d10 and refer to the relevant result on the table. The higher the positive difference between you and the enemy's combat score, the more likely you are to deal high damage or even kill them outright if you roll high enough. And the reverse is also true. A big negative difference if you're down into the minus sevens, minus eights, they can see you instantly killed if you roll low. Now, most of the time, each round, both you and the enemy will lose some endurance. And that goes on until one of you runs out. That's quite clunky to explain, but I think it'll work fairly well in practice, and I like how the table is weighted in Lone Wolf's favour. If you both have equal combat skill, you are quite a lot more likely to win than lose, I think, and that's nice. You also get to choose no less than five skills from a list of ten. There are a selection of skills and minor superpowers that help sell the idea that you're much more than the average character. There's 10 skills, so you get fully half. I'm only going to cover skills I actually select for brevity's sake, but there's a nice mixture of obvious combat stuff and more situational effects like minor telekinesis. Finally, there's money and equipment. The book cares quite a lot about where you carry things and how much space you have in your rucksack. It all makes sense, but it's about as exciting as encumbrance rules usually are. I'll flag up during play if any of them become relevant, but otherwise I've nothing to say except to note that it allows you to dual wield weapons like a proper ranger, but there's no in-game bonus for doing so. You also get a few odds and sods of equipment at the outset, and also an additional randomly rolled item. So let's roll up our character. A combat skill, I got a 5, which gives me a combat score of 15, which is about average. I should say that if you roll a 0 on the d10, it counts as a 0, not as 10. And for endurance, I also got a 5, and that gives me an endurance of 25. I've picked the following skills. Sixth sense, uh, this allows me to sometimes sense danger. It sounds like it would be handy in a wide range of situations, so I went for that. I took healing, which means I gain one endurance every section I go through, which doesn't involve combat. And that just seems straight up overpowered, so I had to take it. Uh, animal kinship, the classic ranger power of being good with animals. I had to take this purely because Lone Wolf is very much coded as a ranger. And I've taken tracking for much the same reason. I want to be able to do the whole Aragorn, a hobbit lay here, his hands were bound routine. And Mind Blast, which means I can use psychic powers to aid me in combat. This adds two to my combat skill in certain fights, and that seems very useful. So that's what I've taken. In terms of gear, I start with an axe, a mace, one meal, three gold crowns of indeterminate buying power, a map of Summerland, which is, of course, beautifully rendered by Gary Chalk on the inside cover. With all of that out of the way, at last, let's dive in to flight from the dark. I'm very excited. The story so far. In the northern land of Summerland, it has been the custom for many centuries to send the children of the warrior lords to the monastery of Kai, 
There they are taught the skills and disciplines of their noble father. The Kai monks are masters of their art, and the children in their charge love and respect them, in spite of the hardship of their training. For one day, when they have finally learned the secret skills of the Kai, they will return to their homes equipped in mind and body to defend themselves against the constant threat of war from the Dark Lords of the West. In olden times, during the Age of the Black Moon, the Dark Lords waged war on Summerland. The conflict was a long and bitter trial of strength that ended in victory for the Summerlending at the Great Battle of Markingorge. King Olnar and the allies of Durenor broke the Dark Lord armies at the Pass of Moitora and forced them back into the bottomless abyss of Markengorge. This is a real uh, word salad of made-up fantasy names, and it's not over yet. Vashna, mightiest of the Dark Lords, was slain upon the sword of King Ulnar, called Summersword, the Sword of the Sun. Since that age, the Dark Lords have vowed vengeance upon Summerland and the House of Ulnar. So we get uh, a very, very typical 1980s fantasy naming conventions and i'm absolutely fine with that i would expect no less i would be disappointed if it had been all you know kevin's and susan's let's be honest now it is the morning of the feast of fairmar when all of the kai lords are present at the monastery for the celebrations suddenly a great black cloud comes from out of the western skies so many are the numbers of the black-winged beasts that fill the sky that the sun is completely hidden the Dark Lords, ancient enemy of the Summerlending, are attacking. War has begun. On this fateful morning, you, Silent Wolf, the name given to you by the Kai. Now, in reality, no one who's ever met me is going to give me the name Silent Wolf. Except maybe in the hope that I take the hint and stop my yapping for just a moment. But on that fateful morning, you, Silent Wolf, have been sent to collect firewood in the forest as a punishment for your inattention in class, which, to be fair, is pretty on brand for me as a schoolboy. As you are preparing to return, you see, to your horror, a vast cloud of black leathery creatures swoop down and engulf the monastery. Dropping the wood, you race to the battle that has already begun, but... In the unnatural dark, you stumble and strike your head on a low tree branch. As you lose consciousness, the last thing you see in the poor light are the walls of the monastery crashing to the ground. Many hours pass before you awake. With tears in your eyes, you now survey the scene of destruction. Raising your face to the clear sky, you swear vengeance on the Dark Lords for the massacre of the Kai warriors. And with a sudden flash of realisation, you know what you must do. You must set off on a perilous journey to the capital city to warn the king of the terrible threat that now faces his people. For you are now the last of the Kai. You are now the Lone Wolf. So that's a pretty good introduction, I would say. There's something appealing about the young person who hasn't completed their training suddenly being forced to take on these very adult responsibilities timeless tale i'm quite happy to be playing it here you must make haste for you sense it is not safe to linger by the smoking remains of the ruined monastery the black-winged beasts could return at any moment you must set out for the summerland capital of holmgard and tell the king the terrible news of the massacre the whole elite of kai warriors save yourself have been slaughtered without the kai lords to lead her armies 
Summerland will be at the mercy of their ancient enemy, the Dark Lords. Fighting back tears, you bid farewell to your dead kinsmen. Silently you promise that their deaths will be avenged. You turn away from the ruins and carefully descend a steep track. At the foot of the hill, the path splits into two directions, both leading into a large wood. So, we have a choice. We can take the right path into the wood, or the left track into the wood, or we can use the Kai discipline of Sixth Sense. Now, that's very attractive to me, obviously, except for the fact that we've been presented with a straight left and right choice. And as long-time listeners will know, I am nothing if not committed to following through on a running motif. So, even though my logical brain is telling me I should use the Kai discipline of Sixth Sense, which was you know, obviously a good, good choice to take as one of my skills, I'm actually just going to take the left track because it's the first left-right decision of the game book, and we always, always go left. You have followed this twisting track for about 20 minutes when you hear the beating of wings high above the trees. Looking up, you see a large crane approaching from the north, its huge black wings casting a gigantic shadow on the trees below. On its back are two creatures armed with long spears. They are mountain gyaks, small, ugly creatures full of hatred and malice. Many centuries ago, their ancestors were used by the Dark Lords to build the infernal city of Helgadad, which lies in the volcanic wastelands beyond the Durncrag mountain range. The construction of the city was long and tortuous, and only the strongest of the creatures survived the heat and poisonous atmosphere of Helgadad. Quickly, you dive for the shelter of a large fern tree as the Kran passes overhead. With heart pounding, you pray that your quick reactions have saved you from being spotted. So, uh, it's a straight 50-50 roll, so 0-4 or 5-9, giving different outcomes. I get a six, so that sends me there. The Kran and its riders land on the track barely ten feet from where you are hidden. The Gyaks leap from the scaly backs of the Kran and move towards you, their spears raised to strike. You have been seen. We can decide to fight them or run deeper into the forest without delay. Now this is an interesting situation because we've been given a, a description of how monstrous and powerful the Gyaks are. And it is a two-to-one fight, but I've no real sense of what that means in terms of their combat effectiveness, which is appropriate for a young, untested warrior. I am going to try and fight them, I think, because I'm curious to see what kind of combat skill this encounter will, will have. You prepare your weapon and advance to meet the enemy. There are two mountain Gyaks, and you must fight them one at a time. So, the first Gyak has a combat skill of 13. The second Gaiac has a combat skill of 12, and they've both got endurance at 10. So with my Mind Blast, I have an effective combat skill of 17. So this should actually be a pretty straightforward combat, I would think. So that's nice. We've learned what a standard Gaiac is like in a fight. And uh, who knows, maybe that will turn out to be useful later. So for the first time on this Lone Wolf adventure... I'm going to not pick some numbers from the random number table. I'm going to roll some dice. I have defeated the Gyax. I rolled quite badly. 
and that meant that 13 points of endurance I lost. But there was the option I could have killed both of them with a single blow if I'd rolled particularly well, or particularly badly, got slightly beaten up. I feel like I'm beginning to get a handle on how the combat works. I feel like you're very unlikely to get out of combat without suffering some endurance loss, and it can mount up remarkably quickly, even against unskilled foes. So that's an interesting learning point. It makes combat feel quite tense, I think. Anyway, we've won. So I go to a new section, which means that my healing kicks in. So I'm now at 13 endurance. The two Gaiax lie at your feet, their bodies twisted and lifeless. A quick search reveals six gold crowns, two spears and a dagger. You may keep the gold and take either the dagger or a spear. Remember to mark this on your action chart, or character sheet as we like to call it. The crown flew off during your battle and the track is now deserted. You adjust your backpack and continue your mission. So I have a total of nine gold crowns. I'm not going to take any of the weapons because I have to hold the weapons in my hand. So I'd have to give up either my axe or my mace. And given that I don't have any weapon skill, none of these, these weapons particularly, they're all as good as each other functionally. So uh, onwards. Keeping a watchful eye on the sky above, you move quickly along the track. You recall that this route leads to Fogwood, a small cluster of huts that have been used by a family of charcoal burners for nearly 50 years. After 20 minutes, you reach the edge of a clearing where the huts are grouped in a small circle. There is no sign of the usual mist of wood smoke, which gives Fogwood its apt name. The huts are unusually quiet. Do you have the Kai discipline of tracking? I do. Let's have a look and see if a hobbit lay here. His hands were bound. Using your skills, you detect Gaiac tracks around the perimeter of the clearing. Uh, the prints are fresh, and you can tell that these cruel minions of the Dark Lords were in this area less than two hours ago. So, forewarned by this knowledge, we can decide to investigate the huts or avoid the clearing. I feel like if the Gaiacs have done a bunch of murders, which seems likely. That is sort of their raison d'etre, after all. They're probably going to have nicked anything of value. So I feel as though avoiding the clearing is the sensible option. Yeah, we'll avoid the clearing. Keeping a careful watch on the huts for any sign of the enemy, you make your way around the clearing under the cover of the trees and bracken. Rejoining the track, you hurry away from Fogwood. Good. In the distance, perched on the branch of an old oak tree, is a jet black raven. There's a nice little Gary Chalk illustration of a raven. It is indeed pretty black. If you have the Kai discipline of animal kinship, you may call to this bird. But if you don't, well, something else is going to happen. So we will call to the bird because we do have animal kinship. I'm so glad I took the classic ranger powers. The head of the bird slowly turns and it curses you. Bit rude. An instant later, it flies off above the trees and has soon disappeared. Shocked by what you have heard, you are now sure that the fledgling was a scout of the Dark Lords and is now probably on its way to inform them of your whereabouts. So sometimes having ranger powers and a definite urge to show off will not be an advantage. Do we want to continue along the track or leave the track and continue through the forest instead? As a man with very little sense of direction, I feel a strong desire to stick to the track. But when has blundering from the track into a forest ever led to any kind 
of bad result. We'll, we'll, we'll blunder into the forest. For half an hour or more, you press on through the forest, through the rich vegetation and ferns. You happen upon a small, clear stream where you stop for a few minutes to wash your face and drink of the cold, fresh water. Feeling revitalised, you cross the stream and press on. You soon notice the smell of wood smoke, which seems to be drifting towards you from the north. Nice to have some olfactory clues, something that often gets missed out of uh, game books, I think. People often forget about the uh, the rich associations that smells can conjure. Do we want to investigate, or do we want to avoid the source of the smoke? Well, we're going to investigate, I think. Carefully parting the dense foliage, you are horrified by the sight that meets you. In a small clearing ahead, three Gaiaks have tied a man to a wooden stake and are setting fire to a mass of brushwood bundled at his feet. You recognise his tunic as that of a border ranger, one of the king's men who police the kingdom near the Dern Crag Mountains of the West. He has been badly beaten and is nearly unconscious. Do you have the Kai discipline of hunting? I do not. So I must attack the Gaiaks now in order to save the ranger's life. Okay, now the book takes it as read that we're going to be heroic, and I think that's fine. But I think it's sometimes nicer to give people the option of doing the non-heroic thing and then punishing them for it. I mean, realistically, I think most people in this situation playing the character of Lone Wolf would attack the Gaiax. So I don't have a huge problem with it, but it's just sometimes nice to have that little sense of agency. You rush into the clearing and take the Gaiax completely by surprise. Without a moment's hesitation, you strike out at the one nearest to you. He is dead before his body hits the ground. The other Gaiax unsheathe their curved swords and attack you. You must fight them one at a time. The first Gaiax has a combat skill of 14 and an endurance of 11. The second Gaiax has a combat skill of 13 and an endurance of 11. So, slightly more dangerous... Gaiax than the last ones we fought, I want to say. But regardless, hopefully we'll be all right. Uh, my endurance has uh, gone back up to 18 thanks to my healing skill. So I'm going to roll some dice. I have won the battle, but my endurance was reduced to 10. So I think that's sort of signaling that... Uh, yeah, combat is pretty deadly. But I have rescued the ranger. The man is badly injured and near to death. If you have the Kai discipline of healing, which I do, you may ease the pain of his wounds, but he has been so seriously hurt that he is beyond repair by your skills alone. He soon lapses into unconsciousness. You try and make him as comfortable as possible beneath a large forest oak before leaving and pressing on through the thick woodland towards the northeast. Okay, cool little encounter in the sense that can't win them all. There's a sort of grittiness to that that I like. Fatigued by your exertions, you stop to rest for a few minutes at a fallen tree. You notice a large bundle beneath the trunk. Do you want to examine the contents of the bundle, or do you wish to leave it where it is and continue your mission? I mean, I'm a natural examiner of bundles. Show me a bundle, I'm going to examine it. Wrapped in a bundle of woman's clothing is a small velvet purse containing six gold crowns and a tablet of perfumed soap. You may take these items and continue your journey. Intriguing. Do you like finding little things that suggest a story? So I'm up to a whopping 15 gold crowns, which is either enough to retire on or enough to buy a sandwich. 
Who can say which? And I've got some perfumed soap. You have been trudging through the forest for nearly two hours. A nagging fear that you are lost begins to seem a reality. Apart from the occasional cry of a crown in the far distance, you have seen or heard no evidence that the enemy is in this part of the forest. As you descend a rocky hillock, you see something unusual in the tangled woods ahead. I mean, I knew I was going to get lost. It's nice to realise that uh, Lone Wolf, the Kai Warrior, has exactly as much sense of direction as H.J. Doom, the career layabout. Surrounded by thorny briars and closely packed roots, you see the entrance of a tunnel disappearing into the hillside beyond. It is approximately seven feet in height and just over ten feet wide. As you get closer, you can feel a slight breeze coming from the inky blackness. If the other end of this tunnel emerges on the far side of the hill, it could save many hours of difficult climbing, but it could also harbour unknown danger. Another nice and meaningful feeling choice there. Do I want to enter the tunnel? I do want to enter the tunnel. I like tunnels. The tunnel is dark, and the air is much cooler than outside. You advance carefully, with one hand on the tunnel walls to aid your sense of direction. You have been in total darkness for three minutes when you detect the foul smell of decay ahead, similar to rotting meat. If you have a torch and tinderbox in your pack, you may light the torch to see your way ahead. I do not. Suddenly, something heavy drops from the tunnel ceiling onto your back and you fall to your knees. It is a burrow crawler and you must fight it, for it is trying to strangle you with its long, slimy tentacles. Picture of the burrow crawler, which partly makes me glad that I'm fighting it in pitch darkness, but partly makes me quite afraid that this horrible, segmented, wormy, insect hybrid monstrosity is trying to do me a mischief. The burrow crawler has a combat skill of 17 and an endurance of 7. So, uh, if you don't have a torch, deduct 3 points from your combat skill for this fight. Nice little twist to the combat system there. And the burrow crawler is immune to mind blast, so I don't get my plus two to combat skill for that. So my combat skill for this encounter is an effective 12 against the burrow crawler's combat skill of 17. Happily, it only has seven endurance. With my heart in my mouth and a sense of impending doom, I'm going to roll some dice. So I have defeated the burrow crawler. Slightly embarrassing. I use uh, a digital dice roller on my phone in lieu of physical dice because I don't have a great deal of desk space. And if I'm rolling during the course of play, I can end up talking accidentally over the sound of clattering dice. And it's quite hard to pull that out in the edit. So nice, quiet digital dice roller. I'm so used to doing fighting fantasy books that for most of the combat encounters, I have been rolling a single d6 rather than a single d10 on my dice rolling app, which explains why I was rolling very low in some of the previous combat encounters, because I was rolling from 1 to 6 instead of 0 to 9. Halfway through the burrow crawler fight, I did actually notice that that's what I was doing. And strangely enough, from that point onwards, it went slightly better. 
but the burrow crawler perhaps unsurprisingly did reduce me to nine endurance on the way i'm getting a sort of feel of how the combat works now it feels very much like every encounter is going to nibble away a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and as if but you're still even at a significant disadvantage like i was in that fight there's still a sense that you're probably going to make it through so long as you've got at least some endurance to play with that's quite an interesting thing i think we'll be talking about that at some length at the end so you know look forward to that i guess anyway i have defeated the burrow crawler the slimy creature lets out a long, ghastly death cry and collapses. You are near to panic and scramble to your feet, grabbing what you think to be your belt from the jaws of the dead beast. You can see light in the far distance and you sprint for it as fast as you can. When you finally emerge into the daylight, you fall onto the leafy ground and fight for breath in painful gasps. Sitting slowly upright, you notice that you are still wearing your belt. You had not lost it after all. What you had grabbed from the jaw of the burrow crawler was a leather strap with a small pouch and a sheathed dagger halfway along it. You break open the clasp and find it contains 20 gold crowns. You may take both the dagger and the crowns if you are able. So we're up to 35 gold crowns. Feeling a little better, you gather your equipment together and push on eastwards into the forest. The forest begins to thin out until finally you can make out a road through the trees ahead. The highway is full of people heading south. Many are wheeling their possessions along on handcarts. Do you wish to join the refugees and perhaps learn more what has happened in the north? Or would you prefer to continue to move south but under the cover of the trees? Let's uh, join the refugees and see whether they can tell us anything. I mean, I imagine they'll tell us that the Dark Lords and their Gaiac servants have been doing some bad murders. But hey, you know, it'd be nice to have it confirmed. The people look tired and hungry. They have come many miles from their burning city. Suddenly you hear the beat of huge wings coming from the north. Kron! Kron! Hide yourselves! The cry goes up all along the road. Just in front of you, a wagon carrying small children breaks down, its right wheel jammed in a furrow. The children scream in panic. Do you wish to help the children, or would you rather run for the cover of the trees? So there's a little illustration of the children in Gary Chalk's inimitable style. And they do look pretty terrified, I have to say. Uh, we will help the children. I normally have a uh, mild antipathy towards children. I'm not, not a children person. But let's stick with the character that we're playing. Lone Wolf, Kai Warrior, or aspiring Kai Warrior. And do the decent thing and help the children. You sprint towards the wagon. People are running everywhere in panic as the Kran make their attack, carrying their poor victims off into the darkening sky. A large Kran is hovering above the wagon and three snarling Gaiacs drop from its back onto the startled horses. You must fight them or leave the wagon and run to the safety of the nearby farmhouse. I want to fight the Gaiacs or run to the farmhouse. I mean, in for a penny, in for a pound. Let's fight the Gaiacs. The ghoulish creatures thrust their spears at you and attack. Fight these creatures as a single enemy. Nice, so they've got a combined combat skill of 15 and an endurance of 13. No, I think I misunderstood. I think the um, I think the children have been carried off. That ship has been carried away, screaming to a bloody death. Oh well, I'm going to roll some dice anyway.
I have defeated the Gaiax, I have been reduced to 6 endurance, and I'm now faced with the delightful choice of running to the safety of the farmhouse or returning to the woods. So, I guess we run to the safety of the farmhouse. Kicking open the door, you dive into the farmhouse. A crane soars overhead, letting out a shriek of victory, a victim hanging in its claws. Getting to your feet, you find yourself alone. But propped against the fireplace is a warhammer. You may take this weapon if you wish. Um, again, I've got two weapons. I don't have any weapon skill, so um, all of these weapons are functionally identical. So I can stay in the farmhouse. I can make a dash for the forest, or I can search the room further. I will search the room further. Most of the cupboards and drawers are empty. Whoever lived here took nearly everything they owned with them, but you do manage to scrape together enough fruit in the cellar for one meal. You may mark this on your action chart. So, two meals. After nearly an hour, the Kran and their cruel riders vanish toward the west. As the shocked refugees start to emerge from the woods, you can hear the sound of horses in the distance galloping nearer. You stay hidden and wait as the riders come closer. They are the cavalry of the King's Guard, wearing the white uniforms of His Majesty's army. Do you wish to call to them, or would you rather continue along the forest edge? I guess the King's Guard are a good thing, and my whole thing is trying to warn the King that the Kai warriors have all been murdered. So I guess I'll call to them. I should have added quite a few um, endurance for that. I'm sufficiently low that I must remember to make sure I'm always adding to my endurance. I'm not saying it out loud, because that would be so tedious, but I am when I remember using my healing every chance I get. The officer orders his men to halt and asks you your business. You tell him who you are and how the monastery has been destroyed. He is deeply saddened to hear your news. He offers you a horse and asks you to accompany him to Prince Pelathar, the king's son. Uh, do you want to accept or decline? I will accept. Ahead of you, you can see a fierce battle raging across a stone bridge. The clash of steel and the cries of men and beasts echo through the forest. In the midst of the fighting, you see Prince Pelathar, the king's son. He is in combat with a large grey Gawagaz, who is wielding a black axe above his scaly head. Suddenly, the prince falls wounded, a black arrow in his side. It's an illustration, and it's great. You can see the prince with the arrow in his side and his plate armour. You can see the horde of Gyax and this, this horrible lizardy Gawagaz foaming at the mouth as it wields a double-handed uh, axe. Yeah, tasty, tasty stuff. Do you know what? Every time I've tried to help someone, it's just gone really badly. So I'm just going to run into the forest. Like... There's an element of screw you guys, I'm going home. I've only got 11 endurance at this point. The sound of the battle gradually fades behind you. Suddenly, you are pulled to the ground. Three Drakarim have dropped from a tree above. You struggle, but it is useless, for there are too many of them, and they are very strong. The last thing you hear is the vicious snarls of the Drakarim as they raise their spears. Your life and your mission end here. So, there we go. Not the greatest playthrough of Flight from the Dark of All Time, but I had a lot of fun with it, and I'll definitely be taking some time between now and recording my closing thoughts to try and play through it and see if I can finish it. For you, it'll be the matter of moments before we speak again, but for me it'll be several hours and possibly not till tomorrow. I'll be back very soon.
Okay, I've had some time to sit and properly explore Flight of the Dark and come away with what is overall a very positive impression. There's a few negatives, but there's nothing here that can't be put down to being the first book in a series and therefore needing to bed down a bit. The world building is obviously a very classic fantasy RPG world complete with all the silly names and dark forces and I'm okay with that because the bargain basement early description is nicely filled out by the rest of the text in a way that ends up feeling quite rich. What is lacking in originality is made up for by a commitment to making the world make sense. Like along the adventure you'll meet many Gaiaks and Krans and they are the default monsters. And usually that would be a bad thing, but here Joe Diva uses repeated encounters to paint a vivid picture of a land suddenly in the grip of war. Dark forces have launched a surprise attack and their forces seem to be everywhere. There's destroyed settlements, there's refugees, there's small gaggles of soldiers trying to fight against the overwhelming forces of the Dark Lords. And I really like that. I think you can bring even a relatively standard fantasy world to life if you invest in that side of making the world internally consistent. I also like that almost every skill from the list of 10 gets a chance to shine. As I guessed, the healing discipline is overpowered and Mind Blast is a much better bet than Weapon Skill because you have to randomly determine what weapon you are good with and then kind of just hope that you find one somewhere along the way. Whereas Mind Blast gives you a plus two fairly reliably. There's some stuff that's immune to it, but in general, it's fine. Six Sense is unsurprisingly very handy. But there are specific points where not taking skills like animal kinship or tracking will make life very challenging for you. That's as it should be. There should be a balance between utility skills and situational skills. And I think the consequences of not having taken situational skills should be proportionally more serious. And I think uh, this book does that very well. Now, we didn't get there in my... Playthrough, but there's multiple different paths for the final approach to the city of Holmgard. They all offer different challenges, but you can make it through all of them. There's no wrong path. There's an easier path, but there's not a wrong path. And in general, this book is one where the pleasure comes from finding the optimal route rather than the only true path. And I'm on record as having a fondness for that approach to design. Now, it's not as intricate as some of the best fighting fantasy books, but that's hardly a fair comparison for a first book in a series. And it's a hell of a lot less frustrating than elements of Warlock of Firetop Mountain. It has a much better flow to it and a stronger sense of narrative. And that's helped by most of the encounters taking place in woodlands or woodland adjacent areas. Again, it's not doing as well as Ian Livingstone's Forest of Doom at taking a scenic woodland setting and really vividly bring it to life, but it's not doing a bad job at all. My biggest quibble with the narrative is that the adventure doesn't end when you get to the city, which would have been fine, but instead of the city being the final climax of the tale, it's mostly just wandering around with almost every route getting you to the final section without much difficulty. In fact, the best thing to do when you get to the city is simply politely follow the succession or flunkies who direct you to your meeting with the king. Like, I was expecting one of them to turn out to be a traitor, for there to be some kind of subplot going on, but no, they're all just minor functionaries doing their job perfectly adequately. So the whole thing goes out, not with a bang, but with a whimper. 
It's a bit like if Star Wars had followed up the destruction of the Death Star with footage of Han Solo trying to get the Millennium Falcon into a tight parking space at the back of the Rebel base, and that had been sort of the end. In terms of system, the combat works quite well. It's not elegant, but there's a spread of possibilities on almost every role, which means there's always a chance of things going either badly wrong or amazingly well. And the fact that it's a 1d10 roll rather than a 2d6 roll means that it doesn't cohere at the middle in the way that rolling 2d6 does. There are no fights that feel like an absolute gimme, and there's none that feel like a totally lost cause either, at least not in my playthroughs. I think the combat system feels a little bit harder to hack than the fighting fantasy one, but it's possible I just haven't thought about it enough. My instinct is that having to turn away from the encounter to check the outcome of the combat role on the chart at the back of the book probably puts a limit on the available design space to a certain extent because you can't rely on people being able to remember very complicated additional rules and you can't rely on people having memorised the combat chart. So yeah, that I think probably does put a bit of a limit on it. Still, the combat and the system gives Lone Wolf its own identity, and from a narrative point of view, coming away from almost every encounter having lost hit points, that adds significantly to the sense of danger, and it's got that nice drip, drip, drip feeling of constantly having resources chipped away, which I very much like. It also handles differences in fighting skill a bit better, I think. Fighting fantasy combats, at least the most straightforward ones, only really work with a fairly narrow range of skill scores, which means that you can either balance a fighting fantasy book for weak or strong characters, and doing either comes with issues, albeit issues that you can fix to an extent with best-spoken counter rules. Lone Wolf seems better able to represent a wide range of combat scores without completely falling apart at either extreme. Is it as good as the fighting fantasy system? I think probably not, or at least not as presented in book one. I remain optimistic that it will turn out to have hidden depths I haven't been able to envisage. In terms of classic gamebook tropes, there's an odd absence of necessary items to finish the book. Having grown used to acquiring a shopping list of stuff early doors, it was a weird experience to get through the final sections without the book suddenly demanding I own a pointy hat or five kittens. That's a strength and a weakness, of course. There are items that will help you on your quest, no doubt about that, but there's nothing absolutely vital. If you make consistently good choices, you'll get to the end without feeling unfairly penalised for not licking the frosty mirror or checking underneath the fifth toadstool in the fairy garden or what have you. But... The flip side is that does contribute to the ending feeling a little bit underwhelming. There's a fine balance between accessibility and challenge. Flight from the Dark probably leans a little too hard on accessibility, especially given a generally quite gritty tone. Although it will never outright kill you for behaving like a hero, there are points where things are going to go badly no matter what you try and do. And there's a real sense that you can't save them all. And I think a finale marked by a bit of grim desperation and requiring some specific items that you acquire early doors, that would have fit quite well with the overall tone. It's 
Hard to be too down on flight from the dark, though. It really succeeds in conjuring a sense of a land riven by war. And it is much more cohesive than Warlock of Firetop Mountain, which is by far the fairest comparison point. I played a physical copy. There is, I believe, an expanded edition from 2007. I played a first edition copy from 1984, which I got cheaply because it's riddled with bookworm trails, a thing which oddly delighted me. But you can play the whole Lone Wolf series I think it's a whole series for free at Project Aeon, Project A-O-N, which hosts official digital versions of all the books in the series. And this was thanks to the wonderful generosity of Joe Diva, who before his death in 2016 was keen to make it possible for people to play through his work. He understood that, yeah, there was an appetite for these books that was not being served by traditional publishing and yeah in a wonderful act of generosity allowed people to access them it's a wonderful resource and one that i will certainly be making use of in the future and on that this will be our last lone wolf book for a good long time i think a linked narrative series like this deserves more serious attention so I think I will probably save playing through the rest until I hit the end of the fighting fantasy books I want to cover. It's comforting to know, though, that they're there waiting for me. And I have to say, I am really looking forward to the day when I can sit down in front of a microphone and play through the next Lone Wolf book, which I hope some of you at least will still be listening in that far off day. But regardless, I'll enjoy it. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you want to get in touch and if you want to suggest possible bonus episodes, then you can do so by emailing me at hjdoomretrofun or one word at gmail.com. I will be back in December with a doubtless extremely culturally sensitive fighting fantasy book, Sword of the Samurai. So until then, take care and I'll see you soon. <laughs>